Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three. And if you are subscribed to the YouTube channel and if you smash that little bell for notifications, then you get alerts anytime that we go live like we are going to be for today's mailbag episode. But that's not the only live show that we are going to have uh, here the, the other live show that I think we're going to see is at 1 p.m. We're going to have Bud Elliott meeting with Matt Brown, and we will be looking at the NCAA convention and the future of college sports. Before we get into some of those mailbag questions, and a reminder that a way that you can uh, submit a question to a future mailbag episode is by going and leaving us a five-star review. Then in that review, uh, you put your question for the mailbag. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. Wanted to hit a couple of news items first off the bat. Uh, quarterback movement in Athens, Georgia, and it all happened on Wednesday night. Uh, just a bang, bang in terms of breaking news. We find out that uh, JT Daniels is going to be entering the transfer portal and Stetson Bennett uh, announces a big, uh, you know, I am returning for one more year in 2022. So I wanted to, you know, pitch this to the entire group here with JT Daniels out. With Stetson Bennett back, with Brock Vandegrift and Carson Beck still available as part of this quarterback competition, you know, what are we thinking about the Georgia quarterbacks for next year and then maybe even beyond? It's going to be the same thing again all season, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, JT's gone. We don't know where he's going to be yet, but it's going to be Stetson Bennett's going to start as a starter, and they're going to be good. But everybody's going to be like, oh, he could be better. And we got Vandegrift sitting there. When should we bring in Vandegrift? So, yeah, it's going to be the same story as it's been the last few years. And But this time, the difference is uh, Stetson Bennett won a national title. Stetson Bennett is going to get a ring for being on that team this year. But if they had a good quarterback, I think we're talking about that Georgia team as being one of the best of all time. He was probably the worst player on their team who was a starter. <laughs> what? Right. The per- but, now look, the production. Well, 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 I'm serious about this. He won a national title, but sure. But he's not even in that like Jacob Coker, you know, McElroy class to to me. Oh, uh, I, I disagree. Coker was a liability for them. And that's not a McElroy. That, now, I think look, Coker was in a class all by himself. I do have I do have some data to back this up. Okay. This is from for our, our, our for an SEC stat cat on Twitter. And he dug this up because pe- all these Georgia fans were saying, hey, like, look at the production. It was so good. And he's like, look, that's really because they had really good players around him and they and they tried to tailor this offense so he wouldn't screw it up. Because we, as we discussed in a previous episode, he's really not a true game manager because he plays that YOLO ball a uh, little, little too much. So by SEC standards, below average accuracy percentage, below average in the interceptable category, fourth worst uncatchable percentage, Logged the fourth high or the fourth highest play action screen and RPO uh, percentage, which means the real easy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It, they had to tailor it around him. How does this Georgia team look without that crazy level of defense? And look, Jermaine Burton just hit the portal. Now, why is that? Is that because he wants to be the true number one on a team? Okay, but on some teams, being the number two, if if that's what he was going to be, is fine. Right, like you don't see the number two at Bama or Oklahoma transferring out, but if he's if, if Burton is going somewhere to get better quarterback play, there's a very good chance he finds it. He could just randomly throw darts in the SEC and get better quarterback well, play. Bennett is not good. So if Georgia Georgia tailored the offense around Stetson Bennett, 
And then what happened? He was top five in passer rating and top five in yards per attempt. Like, and they won a national title. Yeah. Like, How many SEC quarterbacks do you think they would have won too. with? He's a huge detriment to 12? the Bulldogs. Uh, no. Eleven? I don't think they're winning a title with Zach Calzada. Oh, I think he's very similar to Calzada. Yeah, but yeah. I, like I, yeah. except Calzada has better arm talent. Yeah, but <laughs> of which he has absolutely no idea how to control because he's throwing everything a thousand miles an hour. Three yard slant, thousand miles an hour, thirty yards downfield, thousand miles an hour. It's I want to uh, make sure, like we're not it's not I don't think this should be a bag on Stetson Bennett sake. Like I don't want to do that. But I think Bud makes a pretty interesting point. And and like this was the now I was clearly wrong on this. But I did not think Georgia would get by anybody with an offense that was run by Stetson Bennett. And I and I, and again, you don't want to play the what if game. But we saw what happened when Bama was healthy, and Georgia needed to put up more points on the board. Like that second half wasn't pretty. There was a pick six. It did get ugly. There were more turnovers. Georgia, the better competition that they played against, it wasn't stellar, and it shouldn't take away from anything he or Georgia accomplished, but I think what Bud is saying is pretty true. Like, I do think there are a lot of quarterbacks you could have plugged in there. He was the one that did it. They overcame the odds, and it was awesome. But, like, the fact that even – and this is not a knock on him because what kids do now, like, you know, saying he's coming back, like, really, what were the options? Like, if he hits the transfer portal market, who is lining up to take in Stetson Bennett? They're Nobody in the that. SEC, I don't think. Right. But, I, but I, Bud's – I mean, let's be real. Like, if – Stetson Bennett is coming back for a reason because there's not really an NFL future. So yeah, of course there are other QBs out there who you consider quote unquote better than Stetson Bennett who, okay, so you take out Bennett and you put on Bryce Young and Georgia is now an all time greatest team. Who cares? It still only counts as one national title. I, I'm just talking about going forward though, right? Like Bennett announced he's coming back and then very quickly Burton decides he's hitting the portal. Yeah, because Stetson Bennett is the man to beat in that quarterback battle for 2022. He is likely going to be the starting quarterback. He's got obviously got a good relationship with Todd Munkin, and we're going to do, as Tom said, the same kind of hand-wringing all season, trying to fantasize about how this team with superior talent would look with someone else at quarterback. And Kirby Smart doesn't care because he's got a ring doing it his way with someone who's just going to function. He's like, I listen – who cares about what it could be when we've just got the biggest, nastiest players at every other position and we've got this guy who can accomplish what we want to do, which is winning football. And here's another thing, too. Like, um, Let's say Bennett does leave and Vandegrift starts and Jermaine Burton doesn't enter the transfer portal. All right, let's just assume all those things are connected. Do you still pick Georgia to win the national title next year over Alabama? Wait, run it by me one more time. Let's say Bennett leaves. He's not coming back. Vandegrift is Georgia's starting QB. Burton is not transferring. Are you picking Georgia over Alabama to win the national title? No, but I might pick him to make the playoff. I, I think they could still make the playoff with Stetson Bennett. I think that Stetson Bennett was a top half quarterback in the SEC, and where he fits in that debate depends on how you compare him to the likes of like Connor Bazelak and Bo Nix. I would take Connor Bazelak. I would take Bo Nix. And I don't think it's close. You would take ah, Bo Nix. Yes, easily. You worry about Stetson's YOLO moments, but you would take <laughs> Bo Nix. They both have, have downside moments, but the upside with Nix is, is far greater to me. I, 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 think, I think Bo Nix Bo, Bo will get like some draft workouts. You know what I mean? I'm not sure he's going to get drafted. It'll depend on what he does at Oregon. But ability-wise. Yeah, yeah. Athletic-wise, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but. In all your of this, offense wise, you would take him over Stetson Bennett. <laughs> yes. Okay. Don't you think this is more of an indictment on JT Daniels, too? Like, I'm curious to see what his market is because Can if he, he ever stay healthy, I mean, that's, yeah. I'm really curious on that. Yeah. You know, right. He, he, had, he had the leg and then he, then he had, you know, the, the labrum, the, 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 the oblique. Um, oblique. I just, I love that name. Stetson Bennett's pet, pet Sasquatch. And Danny, I like that you said that because I was uh, I was on HQ for the breaking news hit last night after uh, the news dropped. And Hakeem Dermish, a fantastic host on CBS Sports HQ, we were talking before we went live. And he said, this is about JT Daniels, right? You know, like top former five-star in the transfer portal. I said, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think we have seen an entire season 
that justifies JT Daniels being this hot commodity on along the same levels as even a Bo Nix and certainly not a Caleb Williams that JT Daniels, like, where's he going to go? Who's going to get him? I think that you are hoping that you get a full season of full health and something that is close to the projections. But so far in his college career, we haven't seen it. Like I think Stetson Bennett just beat JT Daniels out for the job. The health, you know, was part of this, but once he got rolling and once he was in a rhythm within this offense, then I, I just think he was QB one. Right. Cause I mean, JT Daniels was dressed out for six, seven weeks. It wasn't like he just came back the last two or three games. There were opportunities you could have made a move and they didn't. And I, I think it does, I think, but I think it's a combination of the the injuries, but also like lack of leadership, like intangibles, player respect, like what your teammates think of you. And I think Kirby Smart read the room and Todd Munkin looked at it and was like, we're going to roll with the guy that the team rallies around. And that is an intangible that I think Stetson Bennett deserves a lot of credit for. Like the fact that he's like all these other quarterbacks were just plugging in. I don't know if they're as inspirational or as, you know, or put their bodies on the line the same way. Sure, maybe they would. And I do think there's more upside, but I do think Stetson Bennett deserves a ton of credit for what he did. To me, the, the the play that encapsulates Stetson Bennett is is the deep shot they score the touchdown on in the title game, right? It's one on one. That's a pretty safe throw. It's a bad throw. A Donnie Mitchell, the freshman receiver, goes up and makes a five star type play, catching the ball around the defensive back's head because it's it's thrown behind him. It's a bad throw. If you're grading this, you're not you're giving him a minus for that. Danny will tell you, right? Like you've thrown touchdowns on minus balls before, but that is a bad throw, mm-hmm. right? And the the guy around him in that offense bails him out. But how many quarterbacks exist on the college level who would make that throw? Uh, who could make that throw? Like a, Bryce Young a, a, a could ton, make it. A ton of quarterbacks. You think you think Bo Nix is making that throw? Apparently, it's a bad throw. A ton of people could make that throw. But I'm saying, who could make the throw perfect? Like, okay, it wasn't perfect. It was to Bryce the back Young, corner of the end zone, and it was caught for a touchdown. Like, Max obviously, Johnson, yeah. Right? But yeah. there aren't there aren't a lot of college quarterbacks who are making that throw perfectly placed every single time. You're kind of just no, throwing it up, trying to trust your wide receiver to make the play. That's fair. Yeah. But for him to have have that high of a percentage of interceptable throws and uncatchable throws, given Georgia's pass pro, which is normally pretty good, is a concern to me. Like the stuff that he can control, the ball placement is not very good. Stetson. 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 Like he got the ring. Nobody's going to take guy's away from living him, his you know? best life, and Bud's here just trashing him. I know. <laughs> Look, he's, he's taking Pappy 23 to the to, to the face, right? Like, all, all, all credit. Like, Stetson Bennett is living the life. He's he's ringing up Kane's orders with 33-18, which is great. Again, I had Georgia 10-1 to for the national title, the only national title future I bet. So, Stetson, you're always going to have a special place in my heart. On next not year's next team, year, though, team. it's a clean yeah, Not next year, though. It's a clean slate. But I do because, think... But like I do think everything we're talking about here could play out. Like if and they're playing Oregon week one, if he struggles yeah. in that game, like that's I think it plays itself out. But what I think it's interesting is I, you know, with somebody who may be more capable and more healthy than JT Daniels, and maybe it's McGriff, looks better in practice, upside is there, but how tricky is it for you to bench the guy that just won the national championship? I think you almost have to let it play out in the field. And maybe it's another season just like this one where you get all the way to the SEC championship game, and then is it one of those two uh, J- uh, Jalen Hurts moments where it just has to be so obvious that you make the change then whenever it happens? But if they have hit on a guy in their room, like if Vandergriff is going to be the guy. I've heard they like him. So Is it is Carson Beck the other one? And do we have anybody else that we would consider for that competition as, as we're sort of looking at it heading into spring practice, which will begin in like two months? So they're signing Gunnar Stockton. Uh, who was extremely productive on the Georgia uh, high school scene. You know, one of the, like, more record-setting guys there. Uh, Physically, he is not, like, one of these guys you're going to look at and say, like, oh, he's, like, special physically. He's not a slouch. Uh, So he is extremely productive and has thrown and played a ton of high school ball. Like, we had him in the uh, former, you know, Army All-America all-freshman game that is played down there in Naples, which would have been 20... I think it was like January of 19, I think is, is when I first saw him because he, he played for us in that game down there. Um, so he's very productive and accurate. You know, I, we'll see how he translates to playing college ball. Uh, but he's a, you know, he's a high four-star kid. Uh, I think pretty consensus there. So th- they have some options. We'll, we'll see what happens. 
I just, I don't think you like the intangibles that Betson had. Stetson has that he was able to wake up the next morning and do that Good Morning America interview. That There's is, nobody else on the roster capable of doing that. And that's why Stetson Bennett is their starting QB. Shout out to Strahan, by the way, for immediately recognizing what was up and just like like pivoting the interview to fun. He's like, oh, this guy's... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, this it, I don't know if anybody is going to be able to do that. I don't know if anybody is going to be able to give us those like true ugly joy cry faces that we got in the final moments. I mean, listen... Bud, you're just you're just raining on like generations of tryhards that will be looking at Stetson Bennett and being like, that's that's what can happen. Just I'm on to 2022, man. I'm on to 2022. I'm only trying to do my, my projections, you know. And like this is, I, I'm I just, did, it I, is pretty, it is pretty remarkable. And I think I texted you guys this before the game. I was walking on the field. I'm looking at guys like Jordan Davis, like, holy cow, is he huge? And Bryce Young looks a little slight. And then I saw Stetson Bennett, and I'm like, he looked like the fourth and fifth string walk-ons that we had at Florida State that kind of barely started in high school. They just wanted to be a part of the team and get a letterman's jacket. And then Vandergriff is right next to him, and he's like built like a first mm-hmm. rounder, slinging the rock with ease. And there is a glaring difference. I mean, he does not look the part. Doesn't mean like shouldn't take away from him, but there is. It is pretty remarkable. I mean, he really is an underdog story. Like it's not. It it is what it is. I mean, it's just kind of glaring the lack of talent that he's working with, but he's maximized it. The I, other the other part of this to me that's sad, and this isn't you, bud, because your role is different. I'm talking about from a fan perspective. Like if you're a Georgia fan, that Georgia fans are mad that the quarterback that just won them their first national title in 41 years is coming back. Because oh yeah, look at Stuart reason. Mandel's mentions. He, he, that's what uh, I'm saying. It's this. Yeah. It's become so perfect. Like the, the thing with the transfer portal and all this stuff is is everything is becoming so professionalized that Stetson Bennett got two weeks with the fan base before they're ready to move on. Be like, all right, well we got to win the other national title. It's like, dude, you has waited 40 freaking years for this be happy he's coming back so what you might not win it again next year because Stetson Bennett's there who cares there are more important things like I don't know it just drives me nuts now that fans are just viewing players now as nothing the same way you view professionals which kind of sucks fair uh one more news item news ish item uh before we hit the break and get into the big old bag of mail uh Bruce Feldman of the Athletic reported this week Multiple sources inside Michigan football told The Athletic this week that they think if Jim Harbaugh is offered the Las Vegas Raiders head coaching job, he'd take it. They also know Harbaugh, this is from The Athletic, uh, they also know that Harbaugh can be hard to read. Their hunches could be wrong, but they will also know he's never coached anywhere longer than four years prior to his seven years and running in Ann Arbor. They've each believed that he, at some point, would want to coach in the NFL again. All right. I want to get out in front of this story. I want you three to know. I want our listeners to know. If the Las Vegas Raiders offer me their head coaching job, I will consider it. (laughs) Oh, so you, you will consider it? Okay. I will. I can't. I got a hunch. I would take an NFL head coaching job. I would consider it. I mean... I would too, just so we're clear on the right, record. Dave. I would oh, consider well, comp- now I got competition. All right, all right. Well, maybe maybe we can team up. up. Maybe <laughs> we can team up. We could take it over ourselves. You know. Right. I, I've heard I don't interview well, so I mean that's already <laughs> going to handicap me in the uh, in this in this coaching search right here. I mean, it's look, we we make jokes, but I I can't figure out right now how much I'm ascribing, how, how much weight I'm ascribing to this and from our perspective. And our perspective is the future of Michigan football. Jim Harbaugh has just led the Wolverines to their first Big Ten championship since 2004. He has finally beat Ohio State, something that he said that they would die trying to do during his time at Michigan. There are a lot of boxes that he has checked if he has, as a Michigan alum and somebody who cares about the school and the program, he's met a lot of those very important goals. But... He also said, you know, after the the loss to Georgia, he feels like this is the beginning and and he very much wanted to pivot the focus towards what can happen now that they have uh, broken through that glass ceiling on Michigan football. NFL is always going to be interested in Jim Harbaugh. He got to a Super Bowl. I I don't know what to make of this in turn. Like if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm not concerned yet. Kind of seems a little bit more like we're trying to start the conversation in a way that might bring Jim Harbaugh and Michigan's administration back to the table after reworking the deal in January of 2021, where he took a pay cut 
and you know maybe we 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 sort of course correct back the other way but i i don't have a good read on this right now where y'all at i mean uh, I, I like bruce feldman a lot but this seems kind of like double conditional you know uh i i think you should take the raiders job if you get offered it it's it's an nfl head coaching job there's a lot of stuff that these college coaches don't want to deal with including portal and a lot of the recruiting stuff and, and think about it you could you could kind of have a reunion with all your boys. I mean, Vic Fangio just got fired in Denver. Vic Fangio is going to be like, like a two or $3 million defensive coordinator in the NFL. And you and him get along, right? He's a hell of a defensive coordinator. He just didn't get a quarterback in Denver and kind of openly said it uh, accurately. So you get Derek Carr, who some people like and some people don't, but I don't think anybody thinks he's terrible, right? And that's better than a lot of situations in the NFL. That is a very tough division, though. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. kind of stra- straying out here, but in my head, I think that division is tough because everybody else in that division does have a quarterback somewhat, except for Denver, I guess. But Denver, um, there's rumors Denver might have a quarterback here soon, too. Oh, really? I'm just – Denver's seen as a option for a couple guys, yeah. Oh, okay. Or even Aaron um, Rodgers has been floated yeah. around. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Well, that was reported the night of the draft, if you remember that. Yeah. So mm. wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be like a great job to take? You take oh, we're getting off topic, but you take the Raiders job and you look at you got six games against Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Herbert, and you're like, oh, what the <laughs> hell did I do? <laughs> and also, like, you, you mentioned the double conditional thing. Like, I, I just read it. Like, multiple sources inside Michigan football said that they think – if Harbaugh is offered the job that he take it, then the next line is they also know Harbaugh can be hard to read. And I, I have heard that people within the Michigan program working with him sometimes, like I think the quote was you look at him in the eyes and you're not even sure if he's listening to you or like what he's thinking about and that, you know, he really is a human being that on a social level is hard to read. And if people that are in that building and around him, if that's their hunch, then it, I guess we have to give some weight to it, but it still seems so far from um, he is angling or he is moving one step closer. It still seems very, uh, very hypothetical right now to me. Yeah, I, I think he's going to stay in Michigan. He's getting a bag wherever he goes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just, I, do, I don't think it's about the bag, though. I think there's a difference. No. I think he's going to secure the bag, but I don't think it's about it. Like There's a lot of this plays out, and there's agents that are geniuses, and they work the emotions, and they drive up the price. I don't think this is what it is. That's why I do think, is this real? Because there's so much steam in this direction. But I also feel like Jim Harbaugh is one that will just let everybody – he's not going to sign – like he's not going to even address it until it's either done. And and if he – and if it doesn't get done, he's just never going to address it. You know, he'll get asked about it and be like, you guys were crazy. Well, they never even thought about that. You know, it's just – it's kind of weird. I don't don't know what to make of this. I do know – like to me, I thought getting this close would make him more likely to come back to Ann Arbor. Like, hey, I want to finish what I started, but because that you know people are like, oh, he was in the Super Bowl, he wants to go back and scratch that itch and get a Super Bowl trophy. Well, what about how close you are right now, potentially to a, a national championship? I don't know. Did you see like now we're getting in the weeds where uh, his wife Sarah Harbaugh was actually a teacher and real estate agent in Las Vegas before they were married. <laughs> so that's like one of the tentacles that you're looking at trying to read the tea leaves, and it's like, oh, but some of that stuff does matter a lot. I mean, you you do have to like we kind of overlook the personal situation, but now it's like they're really starting to dig deep into trying to make this happen. Um, I hope he's back for our sake. I think he's great for college football. And yeah, he's yeah, great yeah, for the yes. Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. Like, I don't want him to go. But I, I, he just made two hires on his staff, like, within yeah. the last four days. Like, he's still working mm-hmm. as the head coach at Michigan. So, I don't know. It is, it's yeah. just kind of weird. Like, we don't know what he's thinking. But if you just look at the actions, most of his actions the last few years don't suggest a guy who's looking to go back to the NFL. Like, he could have just left Michigan last year. They could have mutually parted ways. Instead, he takes the pay cut to stay. And he comes I do back. think the market in the NFL last year would not have been there if he would have stepped down. I don't know if it's as hot as it is now and the opportunities were as good. Because we got to remember the pulse of Harbaugh at that time was, oof, that was a rough year. Like, Yeah, but he was still a, super, he's still a coach that got to the Super Bowl. Three the NFC title, three NFC championship games. In That's a row. what I'm saying. So like he, it, it, like no NFL team with half a brain was going to look and say, "Oh, Michigan's coming off a bad year in a pandemic. I don't know if he can coach anymore." But it's just so he takes the pay cut to come back because he wants to keep that job. 
He hits all these bonuses this year. He donates that bonus money to other people in the athletic department who had their pay cut during the pandemic. It's like these are not the actions that that strike me as a man who wants to leave Ann Arbor anytime soon. I yeah, I I, I think I agree with that. But I mean, he still has pride. They, they they slash his money. He's like, fine, I'll take that lower pay and I'll show you guys how wrong you are. And they go and make the playoffs and beat Ohio State. Like at this point, I'm probably like, hey. Mm, let's let's get me back up to where I was before at least, and and plus a little on top of that. Or his agents probably just you know doing that. C- can we uh, can we discuss one more uh, item of news before we get to the mailbag? I, I know it's kind of uh, kind of running long. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, Feldman uh, reported that uh, Auburn defensive coordinator Derek Mason has emerged as a candidate uh, at Oklahoma State for the same job, which of course they lost uh, their DC who Jim of Knowles. Course, Jim, Jim Knowles. Knowles. Thank you. Uh, to Ohio State, uh, and our Brandon Marcello of 24-7 uh, adds that uh, Mason and the Tigers head coach Brian Harson have not been on the same page lately with staffing and philosophy, both professionally and personally, sources sell, or tell 24-7 sports. Hmm. I'm, okay. I mean, it's... That is very much in keeping with, like, our entire narrative on Auburn since he got hired, I think. Harson, I, uh, Mason. I have a news item, too. Quick news and notes, devastating news to college football fans everywhere. One of the biggest uh, names of the sport over the past five years. Did you guys see Tate Martell decided to retire from college football? Uh, Devastating for Ohio State fans, for Miami fans, for UNLV fans, (laughs) even for Washington and Texas A&M fans who thought they had a chance at him before he went to Ohio State. This is rough. This is rough. It's a tough deal. Yeah, Lots we'll all prayers. get over it. We'll, we'll hopefully we'll find somebody who can fill those shoes in. But yeah, it was a rough one. All we could do is come together and try to soldier on. Yes, that's right. We'll that. Lean on each other. And if you need to talk to anybody about Tate Martell retiring from football, <laughs> you can reach out to any of us uh, on Twitter or, uh, or or you can add a question to the mailbag. Which you can also reach out to San Jose State's quarterback. You remember the, you remember the DM? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Oh what, my gosh! Will, will you refresh us? Uh, yeah. So Martell was talking to somebody, and he was talking about how he was, if I recall this right, he was talking about how he was going to definitely go start as a freshman at A and M. And uh, oh shoot, uh, was Starkle. that Starkle? Starkle, Starkle was Starkle. Kid. And then he goes like, "Starkle is ass, my dude." <laughs> and then look, I, Martell is a really, really, really great example to hold up as somebody in the recruiting business. Of we're trying to pick the best college players and then obviously long term into the NFL. We're not trying to pick the best high school players. Sometimes being really good in high school doesn't translate. Recruiting and recruiting rankings are a projection of what we think you can do. If what you do in high school if that's all you got, then you're probably not going to be that great in college. So but would you have but would you have taken him over Stetson Bennett? <laughs> No, I, I I mean I think Stetson's a better player. Okay, obviously. Good. Yeah. That's uh add him. So Eric Gilbert, um JT Daniels, which I guess are TBD, Tate Martell, Jacob Eason, Max Brown. These are all Gatorade national player of the years coming out of high school from since 2012. I uh I tend to favor the Max Preps national player of the year. I'm a company man. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Because (laughs) I am all about Max Preps 24-7 sports for all of my high school evaluation and analysis. Coming up on the other side, we open up that big old bag of mail with a comparison of Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, who could be one of the next programs in a position to pull a Clemson, I'll explain, and the transfer portal. Can it help an important SEC program? Next. A reminder, if you want to submit a question for the big old bag of mail, then you go and you leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your question. Uh, This first question comes from Trent. And um, I will start off by saying congratulations, Trent. And you'll find out shortly. On my honeymoon in Mexico, parentheses, way better than the St. Louis 18 degrees when I type this. So Trent's feeling it. Uh, Arkansas picked up two big transfers, Drew Sanders and Dwight McGovern, in, in addition to already getting Hazelwood from Jaden Hazelwood from OU. My question is, 
how successful can a school like Arkansas be in this era if they focus on picking up guys that were rated highly coming out of high school but left their previous commitment for whatever reason? Does it raise their ceiling? Also, side question, what's your go-to vacation drink? I haven't stopped drinking mojitos since we landed in Mexico. Best wishes, Trent. So they are doing a really nice job in the transfer portal. Um, now, they lost a couple guys, obviously. Uh, LSU took took two of them. And one of their important transfers to keep will be Kendall Browse. Uh, I haven't seen anything new on that in like two days. But I assume he's staying at this point, but I, I'm not really really, really sure. I, I do like like Dwight quite a bit, the, the LSU DB. I've just always liked him, seeing him play seven on for, for several years. Uh, so we see this a lot in baseball, right? We see got like teams trading for somebody. Uh, who was formerly a first-round pick. And their thought is basically, like, if you show that ability at some point, you probably still have that ability. That's worth taking a risk on with a with a, a, a trade chip, with a scholarship in this case, the, you know, the NCAA's version of a trade. Um, you know, I think it makes some sense. Obviously, the, the portal goes two ways, though. You have to make sure you don't have guys leaving Arkansas to transfer to like Bama or Georgia, as we saw Makai Wingo uh, blow up for one season as a three-star that, that Missouri did a nice job of scouting. And then he gave the quote uh, today to CBS. I didn't see who wrote the story. I just saw it on, on social uh, that he wanted to play on the biggest stage. And I was like, you're already in the SEC. <laughs> you're transferring to LSU. <laughs> so if Arkansas can find a way, NIL might I suggest, uh, to keep the players who are already at stars and – can establish itself as a nice uh, second, like second opportunity type place for players who were once highly rated as recruits, while still also keeping the balance of the locker room uh, going and making sure that they don't have a bunch of guys transfer out. When they take those transfers, that can be a successful formula. However, you still don't see the best teams taking nine, ten transfers in a year, right? It's just, it's not a thing. Uh, the best teams take one, two, three, sometimes four. I don't think in the long run a whole lot's going to change. I think Arkansas is going to be Arkansas and Alabama or whoever is going to keep being them because I think that with the transfer portal, what you see is it's like, okay, yeah, you're getting some former five- and four-star recruits, but they're leaving for a reason. Like, they might have been highly rated, but maybe the, they just haven't, you know, like kind of like Tate Martell. Maybe they're tapped out. Maybe they're just were evaluated incorrectly. Maybe there's just something else you don't know, and that's just who they are, which is why they weren't able to get on the job. Or maybe they're just like Jamison Williams, and there wasn't a route to playing time, and there was an easier route somewhere else at another big school. But the difference is, when it comes to like the Jamison Williams or maybe the Jameer Gibbs types that are former highly rated prospects that are transferring, and it's not because of playing time, they're going to go to Alabama, Georgia, LSU, those schools, they're not coming to the mid-tier power five schools. So I don't really think like you might hit a few and get lucky and it'll raise your ceiling for a season. But overall, I don't think a whole lot is going to change because of the transfer portal. The, the top players who are transferring that are top players for a reason and still have proven to be are going to be going to a small, limited set of schools that can get them to the playoff or get them more exposure. Culture, 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 like Trend, culture, given, right? culture does it. matter about keeping your kids in place. And then, you know, your culture reputation is going to matter as far as getting guys to come to, to your, your spot. And that means an enjoyable place to play, but also uh, a place that emphasizes fairness, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, Hey, if we take you as a transfer. We think you have a real shot to play. How many of these guys do you think recruit and say, if you don't win the job, you can just transfer. Do you think anybody says that? Like, do you think I they think use that as an allure almost? Um, I think it is hurt maybe. schools that recruit against like the very best schools. I think the playing time aspect has become less of a selling point now because kids know that the risk of going to like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, if they don't win the job is lessened because of the immediate eligibility available elsewhere. Like you can go, you can give it your shot on the highest level. If you don't win it, you're still going to have quite the market coming out. And also just like for perception wise, like you see it, if, if like, a, 
if a kid's a, like a high three star coming out of high school, he's going to be a true freshman, or there's a lower four star that was at a school that didn't get playing time and transferred. As soon as a player enters the transfer portal, and this happens in college basketball too, like I feel like in the eye of the person, like either the fan or a lot of coaches, that player becomes better for some reason just because they're the trans. It's like you think, well, he was there for a year, he didn't play, but that's better off than this other highly rated kid that maybe I could groom. And it's just, it's, it's weird. I think that there's a tendency to overinflate the value of transfers just because it's like, oh, well, they're experienced. So how much experience do they really have? Well, the experience that I've heard is that they just know how to handle their business. They've been to class. They know how to practice. They know just like all of the other, like I, I would rather have uh, someone who has been in a college program and at least understands the day-to-day uh, rather than feeling like I've got to teach that to somebody who's coming up and who's fresh out of high school. Fair. Yeah. Right. Like if you talk to these guys who do the onboarding of freshmen, I mean, they come in with all kinds of issues, right? Like these guys don't have IDs, right? Like I got a library card. And I'm like, eh, that may not be a real ID. And now you're away from home for the first time. Like there's a lot of these kids, a couple of situations that, you know, aren't as stable as what we probably came from. I mean, I don't know all y'all's backgrounds, but I would, I would guess like they arrive with like no IDs or no money at all. And like, like, it's like, wait a second, I got like no cash until the, you know, until financial aid kicks in next week. Or like, like there's a lot of situations that guys who have been in programs just already have already licked some of the the growing pains that are off field growing pains. And I think there's a lot of staffs that probably just prefer to deal with guys who are already acclimated a little bit more. Um, vacation drink. We got it. I mean, Trent has he's on a honeymoon in Mexico drinking mojitos. We're giving him that that top of the mailbag treatment and he wants to know what we got for these vacation drinks whatever depends where i'm on vacation like if Mexico, i'm in i would have yeah. said uh margaritas though no yeah, yeah margaritas I mean, is more yeah if i'm in mexico far. it's probably going to be tequila based but whatever yeah. i'm drinking whatever the local you know drink is yeah like in, like in costa rica on, any any y'all got into that guaro in costa rica oh yeah, uh, yeah costa rica, was awesome. costa rica yeah. they they put us up in a really nice uh penthouse condo on the beach one year to do this super bowl live show what? and i think all yeah it, how it was, did we get it was, that gig uh it was yeah, gambling company sponsored and sb nation was kind of asleep at the wheel at the time so they weren't really paying attention um probably still aren't anyway uh so Fl- florida canya uh the flower of the cane roughly translated really good rum um i don't think i drank any water that week however that was a mistake uh normally like vodka water with lime if, if you're gonna do like all day drinking you can't be like pounding a, a bunch of dark stuff or, or a, bunch, a bunch of sugar to me like i can't do like eight margaritas and then feel okay the next day if it's just vodka water tequila water with lime um, but it's all sh- business all the time sugar. You know, analytics of where this thing is going you gotta <laughs> measures it out make sure that he's not crossing a certain line also iv bar have you guys ever done that i haven't <laughs> yeah. done no. Yeah, Ivy Bar is very, very clutch. Like, build that in the vacation budget if you're going to go dark liquor all day. Like, that that should be a must. Yeah. I'm definitely right. more inclined to try the local flair, like the umbrellas, mm-hmm. the frozen drinks, fruitier. Like, definitely inclined more than that. All right. This next question comes from Chi-Town. Maybe it's Tom. Oh, Long boy. Time. A long-time listener of the pod, and I always refer Cover 3 to all my friends. Thank you, Chi-Town. That is the off-season challenge for every single one of our listeners, every single one of our viewers. Uh, every month, tell one friend about the Cover 3 podcast. You can tell more, but all we're asking is that every month of the off-season, you tell one friend who might like us about the Cover 3 podcast. His question, what are some programs around the country that you think could pull a Clemson and break through their glass ceiling and level up to become a top-tier program and specifically, do you think that they would? What do you think they would need to do to achieve this? As a Michigan State fan and alum, I can't help but wonder why not us? Can Mel Tucker turn MSU into the Clemson of the Midwest? Well, MSU will likely never reach OSU status, and we don't have the history of Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State. We've shown that we can accomplish just as much, if not more, with less than these top-tier Midwestern programs over the last 15 years. Mel Tucker is now armed with a massive extension and an increased salary pool on par with many top programs. Uh, Expansion of the football facility, apparently closely modeled after Clemson, has been approved. With the help of deep-pocketed alumni, he has one of the largest NIL deal programs north of the Mason-Dixon. 
It won't be easy, but I've got to think we're positioned to build on what D'Antonio started and establish ourselves nationally and someday, with a little luck, because you always need luck, win it all. So obviously, he wanted Michigan State, you know, that side. So I am very interested in that. But also, I like the intro part is you know, who who could pull a Clemson? Who, who could be on the verge of leveling up? I I don't have a specific school, but I would bet that it's the next school to quote unquote pull a Clemson will be from the Big 12 after Oklahoma and Texas leave. Because I had the, written down Oklahoma State. That was one of mine for yeah. leveling up. I and mean, they've got stability. They've been there, but they've been close. Like, what does it take to get them through? And Oklahoma and Texas leaving may be a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got, you know, traditionally had a lot of money inflow. And I know T-Boom Pickens is no longer, you know, uh, alive. But they they feel like they could push through, you know, if they could yeah. kind of pull it all together. It could be that. But I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if they could sustain it the way Clemson has. That's the thing. Like, you have to consider, like, the things that happened for Clemson to pu- push through was – Obviously, they improved what they were doing, their process and their recruiting, all that stuff. But also Florida State kind of tanked and Miami tanked in the other side of the ACC. And there wasn't really a powerful program in the conference, thus created a vacuum that Clemson jumped up and filled in. So if I'm Michigan State, like, yeah, obviously, D'Antonio had some great seasons there. You know, you reach the playoff, but that also coincided with Ohio State being kind of in a downturn, Michigan being in a downturn, Penn State being in a downturn. I think it would be very difficult for Michigan State to take on a Clemson-type role. That's not to say Michigan State can't go winning 10 games a year, nine games a year, and be very solid and get to really good bowl games and maybe occasionally win the division or win a Big Ten title. But to be competing for national titles while having to get through Ohio State every single season and possibly Penn State and Michigan – I think that's a lot to ask for. I think that if the next program that becomes the Clemson is going to be, like I said, Big 12 is probably the most likely, but then it might be another ACC program. It might be a Pac-12 program. I think it's important to not just look at the ACC side of this for Clemson, but I'm starting to believe more and more that the true level up was what Clemson did in all of those postseason games against blue blue blood programs, better talent, ones like... To go back and realize that Clemson has been an underdog in almost all of these postseason games during the run is just a reminder that while we see Clemson's dominance in the ACC, they get to the Orange Bowl. They get to a playoff semifinal. And Vegas still looks at them as like, ah, you, you don't have what Ohio State's got. And then they go out and they beat Ohio State 40-35. to 35. Then they go out and they beat LSU in the Peach Bowl. Then they go out and they're able to beat Oklahoma. And not only beat Oklahoma, but beat Oklahoma soundly. And so those were the moments that... I'm starting to think more and more might have been the real wake up. And so it's not just being able to get out of your conference that to me is going to be a true level up, but also being able to go and win when you are going to be limited according to the, you know, the clear odd Vegas odds makers position. I mean, that's where I I think that um, I saw in the, in the chat, uh, Reggie mentioned Baylor. I think that Baylor, you know, could be a really good option here in terms of the Texas and Oklahoma leave. You've got a a chance, especially within that Waco community to kind of put a bubble on things and really build your culture and sort of uh, have that kind of um, undistracted dominance or, or at least a commitment to the culture that you do have in the upstate of South Carolina. I think that that's, that's kind of what you're looking for is who can really build that internal belief so that when you show up as an underdog against those teams that represent the glass ceiling, you're going to be able to go out and execute because Dabo had those Clemson teams with less talent beating more talented teams on big stages. And that was like the beginning of the breakthrough to me. Also, Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence helped to do. Sure. Margins are still tight though. (laughs) And that's Taj Boyd. Much love to Taj Boyd. Very nice. Yeah, I don't think Taj Boyd gets enough credit for kind of I mean, he was a wasn't he a four year starter? Yeah, he, he was, was a five star. Solid, too, right? getting wasn't better he? all the way through. Like he was a consistent performer for them. Was he a five star? Just a really high four. Todd Boyd. Yeah. Uh, I think he was probably a four. Let me look here. Would Oregon be considered a breakthrough, or do you think that Oregon has already had its breakthrough? <sighs> Made the national championship game twice in the last yeah. 12 I feel like maybe there could be more consistency to it as to just, you know, winning titles because that's kind of what Clemson did. Right. 
So, yeah, I guess, I mean, if Oregon wins and t- starts winning titles, I, I would probably consider it a breakthrough, just not the same kind of underdog-ish story because Clemson wasn't... Clemsoning like, was a thing. The, yeah. All of college football would laugh about how they'd blow it in these big moments. Yeah, like Clemson was, like, you expected it any year to finish anywhere between five and seven and eight and four. You know, there's, like, you think about how that thing was built, right? You have extremely committed boosters and a, a, a pretty rabid fan base. Um, you had some interesting situations going on at basically all of the regional rivals. Uh, so think about the teams that they recruit against consistently. You had uh, Mark Richt towards the end. They were not recruiting as well as people thought Georgia, uh, and they were correct about this. Georgia should. Obviously, Kirby Smart has shown that. You had uh, the back half of the Spurrier era, right? Um, you had North Carolina really screwing around. You had the Butch Davis thing with the D, the D tackle down there in, in, in Miami. And then, um, you know, some other hires that didn't work out for them. You had Tennessee just absolutely Tennesseeing, uh, really hard with like four coaches in, in, in a decade. Uh, and then Virginia Tech really stopped recruiting quite as well. And Clemson, to their credit, seized that opportunity and took advantage of it in terms of regional recruiting. And then, their athletic department had the patience with Dabo. And in turn, he was able to keep a lot of really key guys on his staff for a long time and avoided the staff turnover that is generally the death knell of all the dynasties, right? Eventually, you just you don't hit on all your coaching replacements over and over again. Well, they really haven't had to replace that many coaches for about a decade, which is extremely important. And then they they absolutely nailed quarterback, right? They, 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 were, they were on Deshaun early, and Deshaun stuck with them. They were on Trevor early and really, you know, nailed that one. Obviously, Boyd helped, and Kelly Bryant was not good, but he wasn't horrendous. So, I, is there another Clemson coming? I think the answer probably is that there is not one. Not, not in terms of like that. I don't think that's coming anytime soon. We talk about Clemson and we marvel at it because of how rare that is in this very top-heavy sport. Penn State. But who's going to be down in that division? Like, yeah, are, are we going to forecast Michigan State and Ohio State? Like, do, do they have the Clemson controlled their controllables and had their uncontrollables go very heavily in their favor? How about Nebraska playing not in the same division? Uh, you know, you talk about what made me think of them is, you know, rich tradition, great fan base, uh, close games, and then all those one loss, you know, one possession games, and they were loyal to their coach, like almost to a fault. I mean, there were like, and I think that's what people forget is that Clemson fans wanted to dab there. They were done with the interim coach, like, and then they forced his hand and made him hire new coordinators. And you know, they get Chad Morris and yeah, Brent Venables. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then it's kind of off to the races. I think Danny, if there's a Big Ten West team, and I do think it's more likely to be a Big Ten West team than a Big Ten East team because of what you said. As long as they keep that division alignment, and then you just have to play one of those teams from the East every single season in like a championship game, I think that makes it more likely. But we all know the team from the West, best position to do that is Illinois. That, it's, uh, we <laughs> all know that. Every person. Damn colors, here mm-hmm. they come. Every single person listening, they know that that was uh, 100% where we're going. All right, uh, here we go. Question. Job well done for the 2021 season. Always great as a guide throughout the season. Question. Jimbo Fisher and Kirby Smart are now the two former Saban assistants to defeat him and also the first two Saban assistants to earn national championships. Who do you think will have the better legacy? Also, is there another member of Saban's tree that you think has had a better career or might have one? So Kirby versus Jimbo. And then if there is a dark horse or a, a third candidate or a mystery team out there, that you would identify from the Saban coaching tree, uh, who do you think ends up being number one on the Saban assistant power rankings? So basically, this is who's who, which one wins the second national title. It's got to be right. I would I think, think legacy though too. I think if you talk about legacies, like when you think of somebody, Kirby's is pretty dang unique. Like the fact he played at Georgia, he took him to the first. Like and not to knock against Jimbo. But Jimbo was taken over for a legend. Like it was a program that had just won a national title not that long before. And it wasn't great shape when he when he won it. But I don't know. It it's easier, you know, ACC versus SEC. I think his championship would be perceived a little bit differently. And then he had to leave. Um, 
And I think if you asked us, like, who gets the next one first, aren't we all saying Kirby? I would probably think Kirby's got a better shot, but I also think if Jimbo wins a national title at Texas A&M, he will have won national titles at two different schools, which I think would be more impressive than winning at one. Yeah, he would join who? Uh, Saban and Urban? Urban. As Mm -hmm. as the guys in recent memory to do it at at two different schools. Um, Part of this is, right, like who's going to get there next? If neither of them win another national title, which I feel is unlikely, I think at least one of them will will get one, if not both, um, then it's going to be Kirby because Jimbo's legacy right now can be very easily written off as Jameis. Without Jameis, they lose in every year. Well, I guess the COVID year, but like that's kind of a weird, you know, not normal type season, I guess. Uh, I think he's lost, what, three games in every year mm-hmm. that he hasn't had Jameis. So... You know, we talk about Kirby losing games he shouldn't lose, but without Jameis, uh, they lose games that their fans feel they shouldn't lose pretty consistently at both spots. So right now, it's definitely Kirby. Kirby's also made the playoff, what, more often? And has also made it to a national title game uh, more often. Correct. More uh, more playoff wins. Jimbo's yeah. got zero. And mm-hmm. appearances. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jimbo's got to get to double digit wins first at Texas A&M. Didn't you they know? do it in the pandemic season? That's what I was saying. Like, like that, you know, that, that number yeah. five overall finish, that top five finish. Yeah. Yeah. So why? And I, I'm so sorry for driving this home. Why is Texas A&M not won more national championships? I don't think there's anywhere in the country where there's more want to, where there's more resources, where there's more investment where there's more of like all of the tangible material things that we say it takes to be able to win a national championship. Why has Texas A&M not won more? Oh, they went nine and one in, in 2020. Wasn't it store? Like, has that investment always been there as much as it has in the last six, seven no. years? Like, cause I uh, thought they were always kind of, I know that uh, this is going to rile up some Texas A&M fans, but weren't they always I the want to goes Texas back to Dickerson. Ending? Doesn't it go back to the the Dickerson? Yeah, call? you saw the Dickerson article this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, just, I think we've got decades of want to. I think the boosters have been there. I think that they've got the money. They've got this big stadium that they keep trying to make bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Why? Why didn't Texas A and M have more national championships? I don't know. It is. It is one of the biggest college football mysteries that just bounces around my head, and I've got no good theories on why. Well. I would say part of the reason is probably through most of the first century of college football from like the late 19th into, you know, the modern era when we started having more televised games was that the majority of majority of media covering the sport was either Midwest, Northeast, West Coast. So those teams tended to get more favorable voting. They have three claimed national championships, none since 1939. The last time they won a division title was in 2010. It's crazy. Been so a while, we, but it's hard, you know, man. It's hard out here. Yeah, but it's we so easily pencil Kirby. It's like, yeah, Kirby's got like the easier path. If Jimbo does it, I think that that is monumental. Like it, it would be on par with what Kirby delivered. He didn't go to Texas A&M, but I think that it would be remarkable uh, to be able to snap that drought that has existed for so long even as so many people have poured a lot of time and money and resources into that program. Yeah. But all right. It's hard. As for the second half of the question, I don't really think, uh, I mean, obviously I think you'd have to go what Mario or, or Billy Napier. Uh, but like, let's see if Mario can hire a coordinator first. Uh, they also lost their DB coach to Bama last night, uh, in, in, in Robinson. So, um, Let's let's hey let's let's close on that right there because we uh, a question from Duckszilla as okay. uh, just gets us right into the uh, the Mario Cristobal discussion. Uh, Cover three dudes, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm a football scientist from the future who already knows the answers to the following questions. I just want to see how close your predictions are. There's huge excitement around the Miami program with Tyler Van Dyke and Cristobal in town. Do we believe Mario Cristobal is finally capable of letting his OC do OC things? And also, 
with Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham coming to Eugene, promising an explosive play-based offense, do the Ducks have the horses to get right back to the Pac-12 championship, or could they do it with one loss? Respectfully, Duckzilla. To get back to a title game? Yes. Yes. You, you think Oregon with Dan Lanning, Kenny Dillingham, the players that are on that roster, I think Oregon is the betting favorite. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the odds. But I would make Oregon, as a handicapper, the favorite to win the Pac-12 North next season. I don't think they will be the favorite. I don't think your inkling is too far off. Like I the think North? The, I didn't say Who Pac-12. is favorite in the North? Oh, the North. I'm sorry. I thought you meant the oh, Pac-12. Saying, yeah. If yeah, you no, guys are aware of odds, like the, to do the whole old miscompliance thing. Like, if you're aware of odds that Oregon is not favored to win the Pac-12 North, please email me <laughs> yeah. at that link at that buddylcfpgmail.com. Yeah, very, no, very interested in that. They're definitely the favorite to win the North. So, yeah, I mean, I just it's going to be interesting to see. It's hard to know really because we haven't seen Dan Lanning as a head coach anywhere. But coming from that tree and knowing what they're bringing, I. I still have a pretty high floor for what Oregon's going to be next season. Now, I don't, I'm not going to, I picked it to get to the playoff this year. I'm not going to be making that decision again next year. What do y'all think? I mean, they're both, they're both jobs you can win at, but they both have some structural challenges, you know? Um, is Mario gonna? Why? Why can't Mario hire an offensive coordinator? We talked. This is the second. We talked about this yesterday, right? Yeah, like, yeah, sure. I do think he has a reputation of being difficult to work for, and that's just having talked to guys who work for him. Also, like you've seen guys work for him go on to success, so you have to weigh that factor as well. Specifically, I don't think what Joe Moorhead was running there uh, was probably what Joe Moorhead wanted to run, and I think that Mario had his had his thumb on their offensive scale probably more so than Moorhead wanted him to. I think other coaches noticed this, and I think you're kind of crazy if you don't think that has some kind of factor in their not having an OC five weeks after him being hired. Yeah, Jason Candle, has, uh, you know, he decides he's going to stay as the head coach at Toledo. Uh, Kendall Bryles, I haven't seen the latest reporting on it, but are we, are we taking his name out of the running too? Yes, and there's mm-hmm. like a... Uh... There's a lot of backlash, war of words going on. Mario's camp, he's been telling people, hey, Kendall was never officially offered the job. You know, there's reports out there that say Kendall definitely turned it down, wanted to stay at Arkansas. It's a little bit of a mess right now. I think he was offered. I, I think this is – I it, it's starting to get to that point in the calendar. I mean, Bud mentioned it's been five weeks, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, it is Miami. It's supposed to be one of these top-tier jobs. I think it does have to do with Mario – you know, he's an offensive guy, offensive line coach. I think philo- philosophically, maybe a little bit more old school from the Nick Saban camp of, hey, I want I want my hands in on that offense, and maybe there's some coordinators who don't want to do it. But that's where I thought the Kendall Bryles thing would have been good because the SEC – or excuse me, Arkansas did lead the SEC in rushing. Like, they were pretty physical. You know, like I thought that would – the other thing with Kendall Bryles too is I wonder if, if in his mind – He's thinking, man, do I really want to go for a year to Miami? I think he wants to be a head coach, right? I mean, right. that's probably the end game. Like, why not just stay at Arkansas, get KJ Jefferson back? You have another good year. You might be up for a head job as opposed to going to Miami, starting over, and then parlaying that in one year. Like, I don't know. So that one, like, I don't think that's too much of a, oh, it was just a horrible fit or it looks bad on Mario. I think it was maybe just the wrong guy to go after. What about for the Oregon side of things? I don't think they're going to win it this year, but I do think Lanning will let Dillingham do his thing on the offensive side of the ball. But, but they should win it this year, though. They got Bo Nix. This is true. <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, I'm weighing them to. Uh... <laughs> What's your Oregon future right now? National title. What odds you need for you got Bo Nix? Oh, I don't know if they really have the guys up front to win a win a national title. I, I, I was thinking Pac-12. Uh, <laughs> I, can I find like a 70 out there? Probably not. <laughs> no. I took a I took a 40 with AM just in case everything clicks. I would bet Oregon's probably about the same as AM. Somewhere around 40 or 50. Yeah, somewhere in that range. I I also uh would not quite take it, but I I would like to see more um more players arriving at the wide receiver position before I'm even willing to commit to an explosive offense because you know, it's need need to see it. 
need, need to see them getting out there and doing it. But uh, with the head coaching hires, it does seem like they are close. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Don't forget 1 PM Eastern time, Matt Brown, Follow the uh, follow the Cover Three Twitter uh, account for the latest on that. We may be rescheduling because Emmert just got bumped up to one thirty. So, and he's there. He has to go cover the Emmert thing. So maybe later in the day. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. NCAA messing us up again. Mm-hmm. Way to go, NCAA. NCAA. Uh, they're all of our problems. NCAA double jerks more like it. Am I yeah. right, guys? Yeah, you're right. So follow the Cover 3 podcast. And you know what, bud? You know what's also a good idea? If you subscribe to the YouTube channel and smash the notifications, then you get to find out exactly when the stream goes live. Uh, jump in, ask some questions about what's going on, and uh, and you know Matt will help all of us in the, in the Cover 3 family and community get a better hold of what exactly is happening up in Indianapolis. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.